Welcome, everybody, to episode 27 of the Beyond Red and Blue podcast. I'm your host, Bo Richards, and with me, as always, is my co-host, Dan Humphrey. Hey, hey, hey. Today, today, I think we're going to talk a little bit about inequality, a little bit about hard work, a little bit about um, what it takes to what it really takes to sort of push yourself to the edge of human ingenuity and production and the um, some of the problems that I see that our culture has with that um, and the denigration of it. Um, at least I think that's a good place to start, don't you? Absolutely. Let's do it. Perfect. You know, it's funny too, this whole thing is like the, it, it fits within the financial industry in this country and globally, I'm sure. Um, but from what I understand, like the actual finance finance industry that tanked the economy a decade ago and stuff like that, um, make insurance salesmen look like saints. Oh, yeah. Like the, <laughs> the way that, that has evolved in a negative direction and the efficiency in which they can extract money without adding any value whatsoever. Um, well, frankly, it might, it might bring the con- excuse me, might bring the economy completely down again and or the country with it, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's unchecked incentives. It's, it's a lack of proper regulation on, you know, whatever the industry is. But the people that tend to gravitate towards the industries in which you can make the most money just for the money's sake, the people that are money motivated, yeah, the people that can have you know, $10 million in the bank and still be just as motivated to get another couple thousand because that's just their score. You know, they got to get, got to get the high score. Yep. Um, so obviously it attracts all those kind of people that are willing to forego any shred of morals and it becomes a, um, an evolutionary situation where they just get better and better and better at being worse and worse and worse and being rewarded for it. Yeah. to see what we got right now. Um, well, I mean, this is broadly what you're discussing is the, um, is, I think is it the, the core, the fundamental argument against capitalism. Yep. Which I disagree I, I with, you, but I, I can see how yeah. someone would see that. I don't really hear people actually make the argument that you're making. They make, I think, a more surface level argument. Um, but you're actually, I think you're getting to the crux of the problem. And um, even you, you could even your analysis could be broken down into a slightly more depth. It could go Quite a deeper a bit more level. Depth, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, but I mean, really what it fundamentally is, is it's the, um, it's the notion of hierarchies. And sometimes that argument is actually made like uh, a lot of people actually rail against the tyrannical nature of hierarchies. And that's, that's true. But when you have a sector that values a certain thing, a hierarchy automatically gets made because you value something. Mm-hmm. There has to be a hierarchy. Otherwise, how do you know what to aim for? So once you choose something as more valuable than something else, you now have an aim. So you want to follow the people who are good at it, not shitty at it, or you want to follow the people who are shitty at it so you don't make those mistakes so you can get good at it. And then as you get better at it, people who are good at it, you're going to find them because they're also good at it. Um, this how things work if you want to be good at basketball you don't go hang out with baseball players (laughs) that doesn't work you also don't play basketball against baseball players and then call yourself the greatest of all time (laughs) you go play against other basketball players like you have to right and so if you have 
what can become corrupt or already corrupt or corruptible values, so money might be a good example of that, um, then the people who were willing to do whatever it takes, who are corruptible, essentially, are the ones who make it to the top. Yep. And it's, um, I don't even necessarily see that as a bad thing. It just needs to be regulated. It's it's yes. human nature. So, to, you know, no legislation is going to get rid of that. And it's it's folly to try. Um, yes. So we need to well, find a way to work yeah. with it. It's it, You know, I've made the analogy a thousand times. It's like fire. It can cook your food or it can burn your house down. So if people yes. have that type of insane, muddy motivation, as long as you have the proper guardrails on them, they can do wonderful things for the economy. And they should be richly rewarded for that. But if yeah. they cross any of these lines that make up the guardrails, then that you got to get removed. You know, yeah. you, you don't get to play in the game if you're not going to play the game by the rules. Um, so the rules just need to be set effectively and then enforced. So here's an interesting comparison. So the type of people who tend to reach the um, the top in, say, business sector stuff tend to be extraordinarily hardworking. They're not dumb. They may not be the smartest, but they're above average intelligence. It's almost exclusively you have to be, and you have to work hard. Yes. Um, there's this notion, and it keeps getting thrown around that um, I hear it all the time that CEOs have millions and do nothing. The average CEO works like 80 hours a week. That's all they do. They it's literally a hard work. Job. <laughs> they, they literally work 11 to 12 hours a day, seven days a week. All they do is their job. The fact that they can have a marriage with kids is absurd to me. And dude, did so, I, did I so to turn to break in? But did I tell you about uh, a buddy of mine's girlfriend? She's a she's a pretty serious player in the, the financial world, um, and she was going in for a back surgery. Um, like pretty fucking serious. She's mm -hmm. on the gurney. They're wheeling her in to get prepped and go do the thing. Phone rings. She says, sorry, doc, I got to take this. Takes a business call as she's about to go into surgery and you know, closes the deal for, I think it was like 600K or something. But it's, it's the absolute priority. Like, okay, we're going to fix your health and cut you open and fix your spine. That's great, but I got to get this call. Yeah. That's the mindset. No, it's crazy. And so like people always ask, like, and there's a disparity between let's say uh, race and sex, gender, whatever in, in CEOs, C-suites, oh, yeah. like it's very, very clearly. And people always ask, they point to that and say, that's a big problem. And I actually think it's the wrong question. I don't think the question is why aren't there more women CEOs or in C-suites? I think the question is why the fuck would anyone want to do that? <laughs> that I think, and I actually mean that, like, I'm not trying to belittle the fact that um, there are, there are more women in, in these high positions. I mean it seriously because who the fuck wants to work 80 hour weeks? Not everyone wants to do that. And maybe men or women are just smart. I think I mentioned this like on the third or the fourth podcast. Like sometimes it's not clear to me that like, sometimes I actually think that men are just stupid and women are way more intelligent that they, they, they actually have the, um, they have broadly the right idea about what it means to have a fulfilled life. Because men are the ones who chase this sort of thing. Men are the ones who chase the CEO jobs, the 80-hour-a-week jobs, the crazy fucking jobs. And now there's going to be some amount of culture that pushes women away. Like, I don't want to to, to, um, to dismiss that. But why would you want to do that? For what reason? You have all, like, prestige. That's it. 
or you just are a type of person who has a drive to do that. Like you said, that is the game. The yep. whole goal for you is to get a little bit more. And it's like, but that's all that you have. Those people don't have stable relationships. They don't have good marriages with kids who, and they're there for their baseball games. Like there are other things in life that may actually be more important. And I think that that, that actually is correct. Like I, I, I'm a very ambitious individual, but I, once I realized, um, I think really in college, but I had a really se a second awakening of it um, a couple of years ago uh, that like, I don't, as much as I want to be successful, I don't want to be that successful because in order to be that successful, I probably would lose my girlfriend. Yeah. And I, I know myself. I had a similar realization too. Yeah. My, like, you know, working my way up the, the corporate ladder, so to speak. It's like, yeah, Oh, like, like, that's what you got to give up. I don't think so. Like I know, I know myself and like, I have, um, highly addicted, in, uh, um, I, uh, impulses. Like I, I can, when, when I get into things, like it's a very hard time to peel me away. Um, and so I think you find that with a lot of jujitsu players, they get, they fall, they get obsessed with it. I'm the same. So anyone that like sticks that with, around at least <laughs> yeah, to make yeah, it to right, your exactly. purple belt and yeah. Right. And so like, I'm, but I, I was like that with guitar from the age of 15 to um, in my mid twenties, I don't play as much anymore because I have other things to do, but I played it all the time. Like I, I get like that. Uh, and so if my goal was to, to reach that pinnacle, that's all I would do to the detriment of my own health. That is all I would do. And I know that I would do that to the detriment of my own health because I've done stuff like that. And that's not good. I agree. I think, I think there's, there's an important difference that doesn't get acknowledged enough in that there is a very distinct difference between the shoulds and the musts, meaning yeah. the uh, the best advice you can have for your own personal fulfillment versus the rules that we're going to write down that you yeah. must follow, right? So on a personal level, yeah, I don't. That's that's a bad trade unless you are so obsessed internally that nothing I say is going to change your mind. Well, then great, you might actually find fulfillment in whatever that pursuit is. Um, exactly. But to legislate against that, I think is 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 folly, because mm -hmm. there are going to be people that are motivated in that way, and they should be, uh, you know, given every every opportunity to explore that again within the guidelines, you know, within regulations, of course. Um, it speaks back to the the James Demore memo that got him fired, yeah. which is fucking yes. ridiculous. Um, but if, for the listeners who may not be familiar, James Demore was a Google employee that was tasked with um, finding out why it is that uh, tech in general is so guy heavy. There's not a lot of women that are mm -hmm. uh, working in tech, so trying to figure out why. Um, and what he found, just by looking at data, none of this was editorialized. He just reported the data that he found. And as it turns out, temperamentally, women like to do other stuff on average. And of course, you have to make the distinction that on average does not mean you, dear listener. Yep. Whoever you are, you don't count in this equation because it's not about you and it's not about me. It's not about Bo. Um, you know, we look at things statistically, you're looking at the large group. So yep. the large group that is women versus large group that is men, there are tendencies. Um, and it absolutely falls in line with human nature. None of this is really a surprise, although apparently nowadays it's so incredibly shocking that everybody gets canceled, but it's very much in line with our nature that women on average like to do 
what we often consider feminine things because that's been the way it's been since forever that it you know uh you know, raising a family typically gets dubbed more of a feminine pursuit. That doesn't mean guys don't care for their family, don't want to raise their family or any of that, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, statistically, women well, there's pre- a lot of women yeah, prefer other things. Lo- Whereas there's a lot of uh, data about this. Um, and then told James Demore issues, a clusterfuck. I forget what it was, but there was something that occurred. I believe it was last year or the year before where someone was not fired for saying very similar things to the things that James Damore said. And mm. the person who said them, I, I believe the individual was not conservative. I didn't look it up because I didn't know we were going to talk about this, but um, I'm uh, I'm fairly, fairly, fairly positive, possible that uh, fairly positive that um, that happened. But with, did you read the James Damore memo? No, James Moore, no, I'm Moore sorry. I, like Rogan had him on and they talked about it quite a bit, but I didn't read so, the, the entire memo. I've read it twice. I haven't read it in a while. It's been a year or two, but um, I read it twice. And I still, to this day, I actually don't know what it was that he was fired for. I don't get it. Yep. So first off, he was an engineer who studied biology in undergrad. And um, he may have studied biology in graduate school, but he at least had a background in biology. So he was familiar with um, that end of uh, sex differences because there's a good amount of literature in biology about the differences between sex, male, female sex in all species. Um, Wait, 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 wait. So you're saying that chromosomes are not a social construct? Correct, yes. I don't think we can continue this. Uh, (laughs) I think we're going to have to cancel ourselves. Right, right. (laughs) Go ahead. So he he goes to this... um, this uh, panel or whatever, um, Google opened it up and they're like, hey, let's go to this diversity thing and let's, we're going to talk about ways to have more, have less white men, basically, because it was a lot of straight white dudes and not a lot of any other race, ethnicity, gender, religion, or whatever. It wasn't a lot of conservatives, uh, apparently, but that isn't that surprising. But um, they talked about getting more women and minorities and, and fair enough, fine. Um, and then they asked for feedback, and James Damore is an engineer. And so, what do engineers do? They they give feedback. So he on the plane ride home, he wrote like a twelve page uh, feedback. It was it, things literally twelve pages. It, it, it's like super detailed. It's decently well written. It, it's huge. And then he sent it to them, and then he didn't hear back. And then at some other point, he like sent it to his manager, I think, and found out around this time that. And I'm getting some of the details fuzzy here, but he found out that um, in like the Google chat in the the, the private or in the chat slack channels or whatever within the company mm-hmm. people had been um the um the memo had been leaked by whoever he'd sent it to and had basically been vilified and so people were like angry what he'd done before he was even told about it and he didn't even know it had been leaked and then he gets fired he literally points out actual data and i'm pretty sure he cites the data from legitimate studies that have been done to determine why he's saying the things that he is. So he's not right. like forming an opinion. It was very well and, referenced. Like he, yeah, he did like, a correct job. He, yeah. He's like, this is what the data shows. And then he goes on, there's like an entire page or two. That's like what we can do. Cause they asked for feedback. And he's like, yep. if this were me, here are things you could consider doing because of this data. And it's like, here's how to help women feel more comfortable in, in the software uh, space. It, like they, and there were reasonable suggestions. Mm-hmm. 
like none of it it was so weird to me and i was like what they got angry at is that he um used psychological language like he talked about how um there are differences in men and women and there actually are on average and you said on average so the biggest difference that is known between men and women outside of like um hand strength and uh upper body shoulder strength because that's like a 30 40 percent difference it's huge um is uh but psychologically is interest in things versus interest in people yes and it's actually a pretty big difference uh apparently if i remember correctly it's like a standard deviation so it's like 75 25 or something how does it break down um that's the wrong number if if uh so men are more interested in things and women are more interested in people a woman who is in the 50th percentile so exactly in the middle for women in terms of their interest in people would score in the 85th percentile of men for interest in people mm. so the average gotcha. woman is in the 85th percentile for men on the same measurement and the reverse is roughly true for things so the average male is 50 percent interested in things is in the 85th percentile for women so there's already a smaller proportion assuming that this data is correct it's been um, I forget when the data when this was done, but there could be some error and some variance in it. But assuming that it's correct, 85th percentile up to 99th percentile, so 14% of the female population is above half of the male population in interest in things. So right. there's already a smaller pool of, of women, yep. period. Just like on average, like it's a it's a huge fucking difference. And um, and that alone could explain a huge reason for why you see disparities in um, thing-oriented jobs versus people-oriented jobs. Like the, it's always talked about that, like um, there's not enough female engineers or com uh, software engineers or computer programmers. But like uh, in particular, K through 12 schools is like 90% women. Yep. Nurses is like 95% women. Yeah. Um, you know, doctors is like 90% women. Maybe a little bit lower than that, but doctors is mostly women too. And so, um, doctors like since when physicians, that... yeah, physicians. Yeah. Yeah. And so, um, when did that shift? Cause I know that was more of a male dominated, like specifically a, was, doctors versus nurses. That, that, that was a shift. I, it was quite a few years ago. Uh, it's been hmm. 20, 30 years as far as I'm aware. Now oh, I need to double check uh, okay. the data. Um, okay. cause I, I could actually be wrong, but I'm fairly certain this is also one of them. Cause I remember the, the reason I remember it is because it shocked me. Yeah, I thought I thought that it was not the case, but um, apparently more women go into um, get doctor get get their MD than men do. The reason I think people think it's the other way is because it never used to be that way. Right. Of course, 50, 60, 70 years ago, but also the types of career paths that they choose to go into is different. Men are way overrepresented in um, uh, the the doctoral fields that pay more. So anesthesiologists make like 150 grand a year on like starting right. and it's like 90% men, but, uh, um, children, children's physicians don't make that much money. And it's mostly women as an example. And so you, there's like monetary considerations. There's other, there's other factors. There's a lot of them, but those are just the two that stick out to me, um, at the moment without having looked at the, the data in a while, cause it's been about a year, but, um, he points these things out and it's like, look, like these are things that we observe in society. So there may be a societal issue that we need to tackle, but if these things are true, here are some things that we can do to help more women get into Google programming. He didn't denigrate it. He didn't say that women can't code. He's like, maybe they don't want to. 
I don't know. Maybe they don't. From what I remember, there are actually some pretty decent suggestions. No, his, his, I don't. Yeah, his suggestions were great, from what I remember too. And like, I actually have the I have the document on my computer. I can pull it up and um, probably read through some of them. But um, I remember just thinking it, it was it was incredible that the amount of vitriol that he got. Like, I just didn't understand it. It didn't seem. Um, commiserate to me with what he had said now if he'd gone on and said that women can't code they're stupid like what like you know he'd gone on to denigrate them it's like yeah fire the fucker like sure but there was none of that he he was literally none of that there wasn't a point in there where i was like wow he was kind of rude to women there never happened and um it looks like my google google doc of the uh the echo chamber is uh no longer valid i wonder what happened dang I'll have to try and find a um, an updated copy somewhere because mine doesn't work. Yeah, last time I opened it was uh, January twenty first of twenty nineteen. <laughs> um, but yeah, so like it, it it's you see these kinds of differences and that that can explain that can um, cause a lot of the variance, a lot of the difference. Um, the other thing I was saying was about how um, the amount of work required in the, the type of the people who are going to gravitate towards um, corruptible fields, right? So you're going to get a small percentage of people who are just willing to put in all that work. And then you socially, you deride them for doing that because it's unfair for everyone else. But what no one talks about is that it takes the same amount. It's used slightly differently, but it takes the same amount of uh, skill sets roughly to do what Elon Musk does or to do what Einstein did or to do what Mary Curry did. These people who are on the cutting edge of um, scientific uh, evolution, let's say, or growth, mm-hmm. um, create creative growth, uh, musicians are like this too, they're all also obsessed and crazy. Oh, you have to be, yeah. And they're all willing to basically say, fuck you to social norms to figure out what they, like none of these people who have made all of these strides in the world, who made all the big advances did so while also um, acquiescing to social, uh, social order and preference. None of them were like, I'll follow social norms and then I'll do this groundbreaking work. They were all alienated from society. I'm sure there's a few that weren't, but by and large, they're all alienated from society. They don't give a fuck about social norms. They're most of them are actually antisocial, just completely. Um, part of that could be because they may be on the autis- autism spectrum, but there isn't really enough data to indicate that that's true. It just seems anecdotally like it's possible yeah. that there's a correlation between broad autism spectrum disorder and um, the ability, the genius level ability to kind of go off into the unknown and solve problems. But mm-hmm. um, that's a separate issue. But um, they all have that same amount of uh, disagreeableness and fuck you to the world, right? And um, like Elon's always a good example because he gives no fucks about anything and he does what people, he does everything he does, no one should be able to do. Right. But I mean, Mary Curry was like that when it came to radiation. Einstein is like that. He was, um, Leonardo da Vinci was like that. I mean, he was, he was, he was imprisoned for the last 30 years of his life and still did crazy shit, you know? (laughs) I mean, there there are more examples. Uh, just, Just find anyone who's innovated anything incredibly. And even musicians are like this. They do things that no one else has ever done. Right. Yeah. And so um, all, all of them do. And uh, I, I, I don't think that that's necessarily a requirement. But one of the things to consider is that if you look at psycho- from a psychological perspective, this would be my hypothesis. You have agreeableness and disagreeableness. Agreeable people tend to be nicer and they tend to follow rules. 
that isn't always the case, but the most agreeable individuals will follow the rules. They tend to be in people-oriented professions where they can help people, um, and they have a hard time saying no. They tend to get paid way less too. That's that's a big indicator yep. of because um, <laughs> it, it's hard to ask conflicting questions, and yeah. asking for more money is a conflicting question, right? Um, it's a confrontational question. So, people who innovate and develop new techniques and technologies and stuff, they literally are going against what is normal and acceptable and common practice. So, by definition, they have to push the boundaries, which means they have to do something that is not agreeable according to social norms. That doesn't mean that all of them are going to be just disagreeable. It just means it's easier to do those things if you're disagreeable. It's easier to say no if you're if you fall on the disagreeable end of the spectrum. It's harder for someone who's agreeable to say no. It doesn't mean that they can't and they can't have training and do so. It just it's it's taxing. It's like an introvert trying to be social. Right. Introverts well, can be plenty social. It's just it's way more draining. Exactly. It's it's a very just kind of the, the basic level is um I just lose my thought. Damn it. Down the well. We'll come back to it. But yeah, it's, it's, I think something that gets missed is the price that must be paid. Well, how come there's not more women CEOs? Probably because there are not more women that are willing to give up their family and their social life and everything else to do the same shit that the guy did because he wanted to be the CEO. Yes. Uh, and that's okay. There's nothing wrong that with may, that. Yeah. That's, and that actually may be choice. the reason. Yeah. yeah. And that may be the reason why. I, I Like most of these actual issues, there are probably two, three dozen reasons why. And yeah. they're probably all a percentage point here or there. I think some have more of a or have more weight than others in terms of the proportional, uh, um, how, how much they affect, say, this problem in particular. But um, I don't think... Yeah, that, that could easily be the biggest reason why you don't see this. But it's also to admit that that's the biggest reason, even if you could prove it, would be a huge blow for a lot of people. Oh, yeah. And well, that's a problem, too. And it's like, I would like to actually solve this issue. I would like there to be more women, more people of color in, in, these, in these bigger positions to generate more wealth. Like, I think it's a great idea. And I think not having them in some ways can actually... It, it, from a human standpoint, it actually reduces the talent pool. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And so that's actually a problem. Big time. And that's, ir that's irregardless of sex, gender, race, orientation, whatever. Yep. Um, the less people you have available to pull from to do a job, the, the lower the talent overall will be. Yeah, it's, it's basic math. If you want it's someone that math. is yeah. excellent and is by definition the top 1% in whatever it is that you're measuring, Pull from the, the largest more group. people you can measure, yeah. the more of the one percenters you get. Yeah. yeah. But I also but, think too that people should be allowed to have different goals. And of course. That's see, that's this free I, country idea that we've been trying to hang on yeah. to. Well, so what I see, what I see, um, in this isn't exactly correct, I, and I know this, so I'm gonna preface 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 before I say this, but with that, but what I can't help but notice is there's a push to um in, it's understandable to a degree, but there's a push, say, to um, expand the role that, uh, let's say, women play in the community from what it was in the 50s to something that's more free, um, more autonomous, um, more work oriented, more business oriented, like all those things. And there's something to be said for that. And I think we've made a, we've come a long way, 70 years uh, mm -hmm. to, to doing that. We have a ways to go. It, we're still pretty early on in that in that experiment. We're like the first culture ever to 
give women freestanding to men in the workforce. And so that, like, that's pretty weird to think. But and so 70 years over the span of human history is like a t one one hundredth of a percent. If you assume history's human history, 7000 years old, that's written history. Like that's a very small percentage. Yeah. And so that's not a lot of time. Um, and we've made huge strides. But um, so there's this uh, push to further that. But at the same time, there's a denigration of women wanting to not do that. Right. And like, I don't understand why. I, I, both can be true. And I don't think there's a problem with either. I, um, and I actually truly don't. Like, I am someone who would be, be okay with being a stay-at-home dad, personally. Now, that may change if me and my girlfriend have kids and have a kid or multiple kids, and then I'm in the stay-at-home dad. I may change my mind at that point because I'll be <laughs> off to deal with kids. But um, too late. You already me, signed the contract. <laughs> I don't, right, right. But for for me personally, um, to you know, to use that as an example, like that, I don't. That sounds great to me. I love kids, and um, my ego is not so big as to think that it's emasculating for me to not work where my girlfriend brings in more money. Now I would teach jujitsu and stuff. And so like, I, I would be bringing in money, but even right now, like my circumstances are different than my girlfriend's, but she makes quite a bit more than I do. And she probably will for a long time, even after we open up the gym that does nothing to my masculinity and my sense of worth, my, my sense of self-worth. I could sure. care less. Yeah. Um, but I know that maybe I'm in a minority there. Maybe I'm not the, uh, um, there are plenty of men who or women who feel like they need to be the sole breadwinner or they need to make more because of the status and fine, fair enough. Like you got your pick your thing. But if women want to go work 80 hour weeks and be top lawyers and be partners in a firm and uh, um, always be on call and maybe be a CEO and uh, be a doctor that works 80 hour weeks too, like to do those kinds of things. Great. Fucking do it. We need more. I'm fine with that. The, the 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 number of people overall, regardless of any um, immutable characteristic, that can do that stuff is very small. So the more people that try, the more we'll find. Yes. I mean, we're looking at three percent of the population that probably has the abilities to do those the jobs we're talking about. They have the uh, a special confluence of um, the ability to work extremely extremely hard. People call it grit. I would call it um, conscientiousness, um, intelligence, and um, those are the two main ones, but there'll be other factors like depending on how neurotic you are. Uh, if you're, if you can't handle high stress, you're probably not going to survive in those. You're going to have a mental breakdown probably in those situations. So it may not be a good fit. There's yeah. other, like you need a confluence of factors to push you there. Um, so the more people that try to figure that out, the better. But I also think that we need to celebrate the, um, the, I hate to say more traditional, but those types of roles that don't typically either make paychecks or don't make very much that are just as essential. And we're, we're dealing with that now with COVID with uh, low end service work, essential workers. Mm -hmm. So working at a grocery or a gas station, that's a low end service job. Yeah. It, it doesn't, most of the time doesn't require a GED. 85% um, of the population can do those jobs. You don't need to be very intelligent. Um, it's a great job for um, a very uneducated and stupid teenager to do you know like <laughs> to give like a low bar right like sure and there's nothing wrong with that it's just that those jobs aren't all that difficult um so we're celebrating those jobs because they're the ones who are holding our country together right now and we should also be we should also be celebrating the types of jobs that people do that hold families together yeah. and that's that's the that's the you know if that means that one parent 
spends more spends their time bringing home the actual money to so people can survive and then the other parent stays at home and raises the kids during the day then that needs to be celebrated period there, there should be no denigration of that regardless of whether it's a same-sex couple whether it's a male female whatever i don't care whoever does it that should be celebrated and i don't think that uh, just because there's a movement to have women get more into business and do more professional jobs that you should denigrate women who want to stay at home well the problem is is that celebrating that does not help sell cars or yeah. dish soap you know whereas the the messaging that we receive is so closely tied to the economy Mm -hmm. that we're effectively hearing the voice of the market uh, that is, of course, going to be skewed towards things that help drive the market. Yeah, but stay-at-home parents spend more. They're the ones who buy everything. Right, but so you don't celebrate them in particular. You just tell them that the stuff that they need to buy while the, the husband or wife is out actually making the money. I'm not saying yeah. it's right. I'm just saying it's no. kind of the incentives of the marketplace. It, but what I see, though, is that I, I feel like more sales could be made by tailoring services and things to the people who buy it. So if you're, say, you could have ads that celebrate being a stay-at-home parent and saying, you need this because this is your job. Why don't you buy something that's worthy of the work that you do versus not doing that, right? It, it, um, it Obviously, what they're doing works. Like, But I, it, it, seems to, it would seem to me that um, you could do both and probably increase the amount of if we look at this from an economic standpoint increase the amount of capital that's being put back into the market by selling things by uh, maybe not like i said maybe this has been tried and it just doesn't work but yeah as you can say my, that, my only pushback there is that one um i would say valuable thing about the market um and the the advertising that is tied to it is that that is the statistics about behavior that you get from it not the messaging but the statistics that you get back are some of the most accurate sociological really are, yeah. information that you can get. Mm -hmm. Because if it didn't make somebody more money, they wouldn't do it. So yeah. it's a it's a, a, an adaptive pressure and a reward, which is money. So you just yeah. keep rolling those around and around, and you get very efficient commercials. And then you throw in AI, and we can manipulate, you know, uh, however many factors more efficiently. Um, to where it actually starts, you know, I would say unraveling the social fabric itself. But in terms of what works as far as mass messaging towards a large group of people, advertisers have got a pretty damn good handle on that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's crazy shit. Um, oh, uh, one last thought before I, uh, before I forget it. So I was talking earlier about um, denigrating people who are on the forefront of business for you know stealing or whatever for hoarding and being very wealthy where there's people who are poor mm -hmm. but we don't denigrate again those people who are on the forefront of ingenuity that was my actual point when i was talking about elon and all the people mm -hmm. who kind of break social social mores and uh, um, test boundaries and, and innovate <clears throat> is they're similar in that they're the ones who are on the vanguard they are the vanguard of pushing our culture forward in certain directions and so they're breaking social taboos just by being where they are and yet we don't denigrate them and there's i understand partly why but the people who actually create all of the things that we use the ones who are ingenious that create these ingenious inventions they're also the ones who are billionaires 
over time. They're the ones who get all the money. And they should and be. Not, yeah. And you don't, you know, and that hasn't historically always been the case, but um, there are some things that people have discovered that they didn't get anything for. Um, but, or they, it was lied about. There's sure. plenty of cases where things were stolen. But um, nowadays in particular, you see um, these advances and the people who created them pushed the boundaries further than anyone ever had up to that point. And they were rewarded handsomely. And yet no one's like, how dare you? Do you have an example? Yeah, well, I mean, uh, just the ones I've been talking about already. Uh, Mark Zuckerberg like is a great specific example. one. Okay. Yeah, so he, here's a good example. Um, he literally created a an app at uh, whatever Ivy League he was at to rate women's boobs. That's what it was for. Or to rate their looks, sorry. That's what it was designed for. It was in part to like get people to, to come together, um, but it was in his own perverted mindset. It was to basically do something that was socially unacceptable or acceptable depending on the group you're in. Right. Okay. But that's a good example of what I'm talking about. It's like he basically was like, well, fuck normal taboos. I want to create this this app that allows me and my friends to find hot girls. Which is in some ways something that a boy would do, but it's in other ways. You know, it's an inappropriate at best reason. Right. And then look what it, look what it turns into. But he also pushed the boundaries of what the Internet can do and what social interaction can do and what we can do with these kinds of things. Like no one was doing this stuff. AOL was a thing, of course, but he took AOL way farther than it ever conceived to be. And now AOL, does, I don't even know if AOL still exists. It was just pushed out of the market. Question. You know, yeah, and, I, I think in, in terms of Zuckerberg, my my intuition tells me that in that particular case, um, the the seed idea of the you know rating hot chicks or whatever on campus wasn't so much him stepping away from social norms more than it was a discovery of something that people wanted that they didn't know sure so it's not like he he knew what facebook was going to become when he first did that oh no not at all but as he started gathering steam and, and credit where credit yeah. is due, he is a smart guy. Um, how to turn that into a useful tool for people to connect with each other? Mm -hmm. um, I, I think that was that's been more of an ongoing um, vision, if you will. Yeah. Um, not that I agree with all his advertising practices. And, no, and, no, not at all. But I, I can't fucking stand his stance on privacy, which is he doesn't think anybody's going to have it anyway. So why bother? Um, at least that was his stated position early on in the company, and he's said whatever his lawyers have cleared for him since then. Yeah, but yeah. he's not a he's not a privacy advocate. Um, but yeah, I think but, for that particular that particular yeah. instance, and, it wasn't. Yeah, and, and you'll find you know obviously it's not going to be a cookie cutter that molds in for everybody. But of course, you, you see you see these individuals that that do these things that they have the vision that no one else had, and they yeah. they have the skills to take it far enough. Um, I'm trying to think of other technological I think, ones. I think Jobs fits the bill pretty well. Job, Jobs definitely time. does. Yeah. And it, it, to my point about um, sort of being like a social pariah, Jobs was a huge asshole that people had a hard time dealing with. He could yeah. be very nice, but he was a very irascible individual. Yeah. Elon Musk is supposedly similar. I, I think it's part and parcel. It, it comes with the territory because you have to be willing to, to, say, to, to, to say no and to say, leave me alone to everyone who tells you the way you're doing is crazy. Because what they did was crazy. Yeah, it, it well, was it's, absolutely crazy. It's that and, a low tolerance for bullshit. If you got a clear yeah. vision that you want to fucking go to Mars or build electric cars or whatever, mm -hmm. 
then if you don't put up with bullshit, you're not going to let anybody get in the way of that. And well, it's yeah, just, and like, it's a waste of time. Time being the most precious thing, you're not going to waste any of it. So you say, you yeah. are wrong. Come back with a better idea next person. Without no, being very nice true. And, and, um, and there are examples of people who aren't like, like Bill Gates is fairly sociable and normal. I'm not sure if he's yeah. always been. He has not always been that way. I'm glad you brought that I, up. I didn't um, think so. Um, my, yeah. my assumption, I don't know much about his pre, uh, his like uh, life over the years. My assumption is that he got married and became more sociable. That's usually what happens. From, yeah, from I would, yeah it sounds like Melinda had a pretty pretty good influence on, on him in that sense. But in and, the early days, yeah. um, no, he was an asshole and incredibly competitive, which yeah. for a business it, again, is a good thing. Well, but as a that. person, mm, yeah, <laughs> not very well liked. You can't not get to these the the forefront of these things and not be competitive. It, right. I don't think it's actually possible because let's say you're the antithesis of competitive. You're le le lethargic. You're you you have no competition spirit whatsoever. So um, that doesn't mean you're always just going to sit on your couch and do nothing, but you're not going to do competitive things. Right. And so th this would imply that if you were the one who was to have founded Tesla, that somehow an electric car fell into your driveway one day and you happen to walk out because you have to go to the store and then you find an electric car. Like, otherwise, how are you going to even know to do anything to try and find it before someone else does? Like, it doesn't it doesn't work that way. And you may someone may make the argument, well, maybe you're just interested in building electric cars and you have no idea of the competitiveness around you. and You just happen to figure it out. No. Because the people who are competitive or trying to find the answer are going to find you when you try and produce your product, and they're going to push you out of competition. They're going to drive you out. They're oh yeah. Try and well, I think there's a, there's a, a misconception that like an, an invention itself is the thing that makes a company or makes someone successful. Mm -hmm. The invention itself is you know one tenth of one percent of all that goes into making a successful product and or company. Yeah. Um, you have to be able to, uh, you know, move in the marketplace, work with the marketplace, even if you are going against the norms, those are still the rules and yeah. you have to be able to build a team because you can't do all the work yourself, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, you know, it's, it's the difference between having a clever idea that ends up working out, i.e. an invention and actually building a company. And, mm -hmm. you know, Elon's even he said himself, he said, as hard as it was to, like invent the Tesla, it's 10 times harder to invent the machines that make the Tesla. Yep. So the whole thing that goes into it requires an insane level of drive uh, and competitiveness, uh, not just a clever invention. That's, I think yeah. that's a common misconception. Ooh, I got this great idea. I'm going to be rich. No, you're not. Otherwise, you probably would be already. You know, right, that's, exactly. just, that's not your personality, and, and that's no. okay. Well, really, you're going to be as Michael Scott with all of his, <laughs> all of his toilet ideas, right? You know, and it's like, um, I, I mean, that for those who haven't seen The Office, Michael Scott actually has ideas that involve toilets. They're not shitty ideas. They're just <laughs> he likes ideas that have to do with toilets. So, uh, got a shout but, out to Office Space. Then jump to conclusions. Yeah, right. Yeah, the, yeah, yeah. Yeah. No, I love the jump to conclusions, Matt. I love that. But. But yeah, I think that people underestimate um, the, uh, and it's understandable, but I think they underestimate like the drastic difference in work that it takes between an average individual just trying to make their way in the world and someone who literally is on the forefront of 
of a new technology. It's absolutely, yeah. It, it's it, it's completely and utterly absurd the difference between the outputs. Um, and if anyone's having trouble believing me, go watch. I haven't seen the second one. Um, I assume it's similar to the first, but at least go watch the first Joe Rogan and Elon Musk interview. Watch yeah. all three hours of it. Uh, Elon Musk gets high in it. He smokes a joint. He doesn't even inhale. Uh, and then um, within like <laughs> by the next day, Tesla stock dropped 20%. So that was crazy. It um, bounced. It, but yeah, is it, but it was, st <laughs> it was still hilarious. But yeah. listen to him talk for the whole three hours. Joe Rogan asks him a lot of questions, kind of like the stuff we're talking about today. And his answers are sobering. Not only are some of them terrifying, but he, like his, some of his answers about how he's able to do what he does and like how he thinks and all this stuff, they're fucking They're sobering. He's, he's a like, special dude. There's, yeah, there's like, no way it, around it. Joe Rogan, I think, asked him, he's like, what, what's it like, you know, um, to be you? Like, what, what, what goes on in your brain? Or what, something to that effect. Like, what is it like to have your brain? Like, what do, you, what do you think about? And he's like, my brain never shuts off. Yeah. And he was like awkward. I think he was like quietly awkward for a second. Joe Rogan's like, what do you mean? He's like, you know, when you let go to sleep and you can fall asleep, he's like, imagine closing your eyes and you can't shut your brain off. That's what it's like for me every day. He's like, what things? He's like, for the longest time, he didn't realize that was abnormal. Like when he was a kid. Yeah, because yeah. he, he just didn't want to shut his brain off. So he's just thinking about all yeah. the problems, which is partly why he developed like eight different models of the Tesla. He's improved it all the time. He developed a successful company over it. He has what SpaceX, the, the, where yeah. he literally shoots the rockets into space. And he has all the NASA, he has all the contracts from the government that NASA can't afford because he found a loophole in governmental contracts. That was a whole separate thing. He does his own rockets. He's going to send manned and unmanned rockets into space. He's, I think he's already actually started, or maybe he tried to drill holes into L underneath LA so he could, for the, the first purpose was so that he could drive to work faster. The he boring project. Yep. Yeah. He didn't, yeah. The boring project. Exactly. You can look that up boring. Like you're a boring person. That's what it's called. He literally did it because he didn't want to have to commute in LA traffic. So he was going to drill a hole under the, the city and yeah. then develop, and then it was going to potentially develop into this underground uh, underground driving thing. And he was just granted $30 million to do it in a city in Florida. So, and it's like, that's what, that, the, the, that's what it takes is your brain has to never shut off. You They're, have to have a special obsession. And it, I think, I think you're absolutely spot on there in a lot of people that complain about these things. Oh, there's not enough women CEOs. Well, ma'am, are you fucking willing to work that hard? Cause if you're not, then make your personal choices and let other people make their personal choices. Yeah. Or point to me to the, let's say, based on those percentages, three million women that have all of the attributes and the burning desire to be CEOs, but somehow the patriarchy has kept them out this whole time. Three million of yeah. them. I'd like to list the names, a, please. You'll yeah. find, um, I'm sure that there are, maybe even a significant number, but a good number of uh, women who will meet that description, right? Where they have all of the, the the tools to to succeed in those endeavors, but something outside of their control has pushed them out. Like, I, I'm positive that's the case. It's at least the case once, because statistically it'll happen once at least. Sure. Well, uh, and, I'm, and I'm not saying, I, I want to clarify, I'm not saying that if those women do decide to participate, it's not going to be harder. Yeah, it may, yeah, there, it may will, there will be yeah. obstacles. However... Um, if that woman was going to be successful without the obstacles, mm -hmm. 
She will have what it takes to get past him anyway. That's that's Here, what I, I mean. The, the the example that yeah. I gave with a friend of mine, um, it, fucking nothing's going to stop this woman. Yeah, she is a fucking powerhouse, and it's it's inspiring to watch. It, it, I think she's a great example, and she does set a great example. And she you know she uh, gives back to the the female community in that way as well. Um, here's the here's an interesting thing though. Um, so because like I said. I see a couple of issues. One, I'm fine with empowering individuals, regardless of immutable characteristics um, or socially constructed characteristics, depending on how you want to look at it, um, into doing bigger and better and greater things. I actually want that for people. Not mm -hmm. everyone's going to be able to do it for a hundred reasons, but I think we should push for that. I don't, so the two things is I don't understand the dichotomy of let's do this, but let's also denigrate people who want to stay at home. That doesn't make any sense to me. The other problem that I see is that let's say that we make this big push and it's, you know, let's, we'll use women as the example. And it's don't be a stay at home mom, uh, forego family or whatever, uh, or you, you, you know, what? not even just forego it. You can have a C-suite and raise your kids. And there are people who can do that, but it's hard. I'm sure. Uh, but hard. Uh, I can't imagine there's much things that are more difficult than that if you do it well. But let's say you want both. And that's what we push for. Uh, we have a fatherlessness problem in this country. So now you're going to have a mom, more moms, who decide to have kids who are working 80-hour weeks without fathers. Unless the fatherless problem fixes itself because of that. And so here's an interesting thing. Maybe this, is what, maybe this push is what we need to get more fathers in households. Maybe having um, a broader push towards um, uh, sex equity, sex equity, um, new word that I just invented, <laughs> um, would actually bring fathers back, right? So say, you know, I, I, I'm a woman, I go, I get a CEO job, I realize, you know, I want a kid, I realize that I'm working 80 hours a week, and it's really hard, I can't raise a kid, I, right? Maybe I don't, maybe I want to do a better job and not just raise this kid and try and work eight hours a week, because that seems impossible. So I'm gonna try and find a man who will stay around. And then you have more fathers. Maybe that actually is the solution to that problem. Whatever the case, that problem still has to be solved. And I, I failed. If that problem isn't solved, we're just going to have more women working, you know, 70, 80, 60 hour weeks doing well professionally. And then no fathers at home. And we're going to raise, I don't see how we're going to raise kids that'll do anything good. <laughs> I, I mean, I mean that seriously. Like, I understand that that sounds funny, but like the, the data is pretty clear on how fucked kids are when they don't have fathers in the house. Oh yeah, it's not a hypothetical. We're living it. it. it we're, we have the data. We, we, yeah. we actually like it, the, the data is. It's been done multiple times over multiple years, and there's millions of, of studies that, or people that have been studied for this. Like it's very clear what happens, and all the results are really bad. And so, I because mothers are around drastically more than their fathers. And there's many reasons for that. Um, maybe some of it's patriarchal. Maybe I think most of it's uh, because at least for the first two years, the mother has to be mm -hmm. uh, in order. Nowadays you could get away with that. We have enough ways to feed kids and stuff that it isn't as necessary as it would have been say 70 years ago, but they, they tend to be, and they, they need the care and everything because they're can die at any moment. But so there isn't a lot of data on what happens if there's no mom in the household because it isn't as common, but I don't really want to test that out. I don't want to say, let's have an experiment for the next 75 years, and let's see what happens when we remove moms from the household. Let's see if the data is just as bad as without dads. My assumption is that it is, and it seems like a shitty idea. And so- Again, we're, we're already, we've been running that experiment yeah. for a while. I mean, I was a latchkey kid 
you come home to nobody there. That that yeah. was normal. Dad wasn't around. And look uh, how you and turned mom out. had to work. I'm so, just <laughs> yeah, no, I'm a warning, not an inspiration. Shit, son. Uh, but yeah, no, it's I, it's difficult. It's not the it's not the ideal way to raise a family. No, um, and it, this isn't to say that. And I want to be clear here because I'm not saying that because of this that we shouldn't push for say more professional uh, women and professional uh, higher end jobs. It's not it at all. Um, my what I would say is that if we don't ask the question, we're being stupid. Yeah. Those questions have to be asked, period. Just, just because you don't like what the answer may be doesn't mean you should not ask a question. And if we don't, as a society, ask those kinds of questions and say, what are the ramifications of kids? Or we well, just I assume think... that maybe professional women don't have kids, and then we're going to have an actual population problem. Because if we don't replace the populations yeah. before us, like that's actually going to become an issue. Like there's a lot of factors that come into play. And so for me, it's more about, okay, let's ask these questions. Let's figure these things out and let's slowly work our way through them. How do we, uh, how do we push women in uh, forward further into these positions where they should be and they need to be, and we should all want them to be there again, because we have more people for these jobs. We're going to find better people to do the jobs. That's amazing. I want that. But what are the downstream effects of that? That isn't always good. We have to ask the hard questions and we have to say, okay, whenever we do something, especially when we make a big change, it's going to have downstream consequences. We have to analyze those things carefully. Maybe the downstream consequence is not as bad as the positives. And so it isn't something we should worry about, or we don't need to worry about it as much, or maybe it's catastrophic. I don't know. Like, I don't know the answer to that question. It's just, I don't see anyone asking those questions. And that's what I find frustrating. It's not that I, I don't, I, I, those questions should be answered irregardless of how terrifying the answers are. It's like, we need to figure that shit out. Otherwise, because we harm kids when we do this. And that's actually the problem because then they become us. And then they're the ones who, then they're the ones who enact social policy and go into the government and run for president in 70 years. And that scares yeah. me. Well, I think that the, the challenge that is in front of us right now, the immediate challenge and I, I totally agree with what you're saying. And I think most people would, you know, more than 51%, because it's, you know, it's not a huge leap in logic. It's like, yeah, let's make sense. Let's make it better for everybody. Uh, however, the current discourse uh, in this country and, and for the most of the globe has nothing to do with solutions and it has everything to do with power. And problems. And, you know, Identifying we've talked, problems. Yeah. Well, and that, that for, as a means of gaining power, Yes. The more problems you can point out in this structure, then you get more power. Um, so nobody's actually looking to fix anything. They just want to point out the broken shit and position themselves to get more power. Virtue mm -hmm. signal to get themselves positioned for more power. Cancel someone to get them out of the way and for signal more power, yeah. for more power. Yeah. So and until that gets sorted out, one way or the other, either we come up with a solution or the whole thing burns down and somebody has to start from scratch. But until that gets sorted out, there there can't be pro progress. So that's that's my biggest concern because I, I agree with everything you say. It, it's like I said, it's not a huge leap in logic. It's like, yeah, dude, that, that makes sense. But the society that we have right now to try to pull that off is not working that way. Uh, it, it, yeah. It's fundamentally broken and how it sense makes and how it collaborates to come up with solutions. Right now, it's all about pointing fingers. It's pointing fingers. Well, and I think too, and this isn't even a left-right issue. This is actually just a, I don't, if you want to make it political, it, um, it's a it's a both parties issue. Um, and this is actually one of the big fundamental critiques of the elite in any culture. I think 
pretty much historically. It's that what they often do, and I think we're seeing this with our political elite, is they do just enough change to quiet the proletariat, let's say, um, or you know the the middle class, the lower class, but not enough to actually provide or create meaningful or sustainable change over time. Well, that sustainable change would mean them changing the fuck out of that office, inevitably, well, a restructuring well, of some yeah. sort. And yeah, they, they are defending the position that they have managed to acquire. Well, and I mean, a, a very simple example of that is, is to look at the number of both Democratic and Republican politicians and how old they are and the average, like look at the average number, I don't know what it is, but um, I didn't look it up before we were doing our talk, but my assumption is that the average number of years that a um, a congressman, so a member of the House representatives or, um, or uh, the Senate, the average number of years they've been in those positions or in other political positions is probably 30 years. I bet you they average more years in politics than I've been alive. Sure. Because they're all in their 60s and 70s, and they've been doing this since they were in their early 30s and, and late 20s. Yep. And and that's exactly what I'm talking about, is they, they do what they can over time to maintain power, and then they shift and change however they need to to maintain that power. And um, in, 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 I think we, I can't remember if we talked about this in a couple of podcasts ago or if it was off air, but um, why wouldn't they? You find people, just like with any other endeavor, the top 1% um, at doing this sort of thing, as they gravitate towards politics and they realize they're good at it, they lose their scruples because that's partly what it takes to get to the top, and then they stay there. Yep. Like nowadays, it's not even about um, most races are about funding. Oh, 100 percent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's not even about your policies. Yeah. Yep. You know, it, just, it's, can you raise money? Then okay, we'll let you be a candidate. And you yeah. know that was a big. I remember that was a big issue with. Um, I think Elizabeth Warren got a lot of shit for this because she railed against super PACs providing all this dark money for um, for people. And then she was seen at a fundraiser where you had to spend like, what, like a thousand or ten thousand dollars to even go. It, it, which is basically, you know, it, it, so it was hypocritical on her part, but yeah. um, or yeah. maybe it was Bernie. I, I think it was Elizabeth Warren, but um, yeah, it's a money issue. And it's like the only people who can buy into that are people who have very wealthy financial backers, which is, I believe, rough, mostly how AOC got elected in part. Like she obviously has got her her pizzazz and her, her spark and her spunk and, uh, you know, um, in, in her ethnicity and other things that make her electable. But mm -hmm. she was picked out by a political group um, and then taught kind of how to compose herself to some degree. And then they managed to get a bunch of funding for her. Um, yeah. You know, and uh, and that isn't to say that she doesn't deserve the hard work she put in to get elected because she I think she, I think she does, but um, it wasn't like you're gonna need a financial backer if you don't have money. Yep. And she's been very vocal about it. she didn't come for money, and that's part of what made her electable is that you know she was a waitress and a you know a, a local Jersey a, a Bronx girl. She wasn't from Jersey; she's from Bronx. Um, you know, went to the college up the street and and all that kind of stuff, like the small town whatever trope and um but that doesn't have money so you need someone with money if i wanted to get into politics and it wasn't local i'd need to find someone who was willing to throw millions millions yep to elect a bald guy <laughs> you know and it's like so uh again it's 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 the guardrails of the game it's the rules yep. of the game need to be adjusted it's not the people 
It's, you know, don't get angry at ambitious people. Um, they are just working within the rules that have been set for them. Now, if they break those rules, that yeah, they got to be held accountable. But if you don't like the end result, you got to change the rules, not the people. Oh, dude, interesting side note. This doesn't have to be on the podcast, but I uh, something occurred to me in watching some Peter Thiel. Okay. Went down a little bit of a Thiel rabbit hole, and I didn't listen to too much of him. But how similar temperamentally that he is to Elon. Okay. Little, I, little bit spectrum-y. Yeah. Um, hyper-intelligent yep. and speaks in the same way where he's got a fire hose of information in his brain that he's trying to find the the, the, the best words for. Okay. They both talk the same fucking way. I was like, oh, that makes sense why they created PayPal and it did so well. These guys are fucking brilliant. <laughs> right, right, right. Anyway. I actually heard this story once. Um, I think Jordan Peterson told that he was uh, seeing a he had a client a psycho, for his psychology practice and the guy was feeling pretty down. He didn't feel like he's being very successful. And he had done like a number of like uber incredible things. I think he's like a multi, multi-millionaire. He's like a business coach and all this kind of shit. And he's like, you know, I, I'm just, I'm, I'm feeling really inadequate, you know, like, um, and he's like, why? And he's like, because my, um, my roommate in college is like uber successful. And he's like, well, who was your roommate? And the guy's like Elon Musk. So like everything he had done compared to what Elon has done is just like shit, sure. even though he's like absurd, absurdly successful. <laughs> it's like it's Elon. So you, no matter what you do, you pretty much um, are a failure because you've never sent a rocket into space. Right. I've only got two commas in my bank account. Oh, yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah. So you were talking about uh, ambition and how we shouldn't um, as a culture uh, shame that. And no, I think not the, at all. It, it I, should be I, harnessed. Yeah. I, I agree. Um, though we're kind of flirting around a problem, and that problem is inequality. Okay. Um, because not everyone's ambitious. Right. Um, and not everyone who's ambitious has the talent to go somewhere. Because it's one thing to be ambitious. Mm-hmm. It's one thing to be ambitious and useless. Yep. Like you, you could just be not intelligent, have no marketable skills, antisocial but you want to be something um in my experience that describes the majority at least 51 percent of the people that are ambitious that's not going to make you successful it's required to be successful but it's not a guarantee that you will be successful no very very true um and so we have a situation where and this is actually a very real situation that everyone talks about and i don't really know how to solve this um but because the people who are wealthy are getting wealthier and the people who there's no, there's no social mechanisms or not as many social mechanisms anymore for moving someone up a class. So people who are poor, stay poor. Like you don't. Yep. Um, and if they don't, everyone talks about how they're poor. So the public perception is the same. And I can give you an example. Um, apparently a poll was done and I don't have, the poll, the data on the poll. Um, I just heard someone talking about the poll. So assuming that what they said is true, there was a poll that was done where um, African-American uh, youth under a certain age were asked if they were wealthier than their parents. They had more uh, accrued more wealth than their parents had. Um, and 70% of them said yes. So assuming that that's true, 70% of African-Americans, let's say under 35, I don't know. Um, may, maybe the it wasn't for youth, it was just African-Americans today, um, 
have more wealth than their parents did. And yet the overwhelming um, narrative is that they're incredibly, is that they have no wealth whatsoever and they're poor and all these things. And but those are two separate things. And those can both be true actually at the same time. You could have more wealth and still be poor, but right. you're only getting one of those things. And so there's a perception issue. It's like, okay, well, you have all this stuff to feel bad about. And I don't necessarily want to pick on the African-American community, but this is just the first thing that popped into my head. We were talking about um, this perception, about the perception issue, but um, I feel like having at least both messages out would be a good thing. It's like, look, you may be in a bad spot still, and we have a ways to go to help to do what we can as a culture to fix that problem outside of redistribution of wealth and reparations, both of which I don't think would work. But um, well, maybe there, there are probably certain types of reparations that can work, but I don't think it would need to be, I don't think it would be money to, to people, I think it would have to be like a redistribution or a, a reinvestment into communities and helping yes. them grow. Um, yes. And we can talk about that in a second here, but um, like that perception makes, I think gives people socially, just white, black, whatever, the impression that, you know, say African-Americans aren't doing well. And it's like, well, comparatively, they're doing better. Like from a monetary standpoint, if 70% have more money, that's better. That may not be great or we need to do better, but or needing to do more, but that's still, that's a start. I mean. I think it's at least worth recognizing for sure. Right, I mean, they're yeah. getting a, a slightly smaller slice of a much smaller pie yeah. compared to, you know, say the the white sure. economic situation, whatever. So th there's absolutely still disparities there. I think what what is a bit taboo to talk about is that while I agree we should um, value all cultures, um, at least all cultures that don't violate um, the, the social good. And, mm -hmm. and by that, I mean like the extremes of, say, the, uh, the culture of jihad. Okay, that's, that's not what I'm talking about. But, you know, the different cultures, whether it's black Americans or Hispanic Americans or different groups of white Americans, Asian Americans, of course, because nobody ever talks about them, Jewish Americans, um, all these different cultures should be celebrated and valued but there is a difference in outcome when you grow up in those cultures. Mm -hmm. And it's, it seems to be expected that everybody's going to have the same outcome, even though they grew up in an entirely different culture. And yes. that's, that's just not how that works. If you look at an Asian American culture, especially if they are first generation, or if you look at um, African immigrants, like from Nigeria and stuff, um, as well as the Jewish community. Culturally, if you grow up in those communities, you are going to be taught and it will be the norm for you in your culture, a certain work ethic, yeah. a certain view on business and the market and investing. Um, and those things have predictable outcomes in, yeah. in how successful you're going to be in business and in society in general. Uh, but nobody wants to talk about that part of it. They want to get mad at them. They want to, you know, blame the Jews because they're holding all the money. Um, no, maybe they were just brought up a little bit better than you in terms of business and finance. Well, the Jews are maybe. an interesting one because they're a diasporic community. Right, but I'm speaking specifically to the the culture itself yeah. and how it, it the commonalities within that culture uh, when other, it comes yeah. to like economic views and yeah. stuff like that. Um, whereas, you know, myself as just your standard issue, white guy in America, um, we didn't have hardly any financial talks in my house. That shit just didn't happen. 
Um, mm-hmm. Had I grown up in a Jewish house, that would be radically different. And I'm sure my bank balance would be a lot different. Um, but, you know, it's just that's just kind of the way it goes. But that has an impact. And the flip side of that is you can celebrate other cultures that are going to produce less financial success. And that's okay. We still value them. We can't use money as the only metric, but we need to understand that, yeah, there's going to be a difference. Different cultures are going to be better at playing the economic game, and it doesn't make them bad. It just means culturally they do a better job of educating their kids on how to be successful in that realm. I I have a question. Okay. So cultures and groups... Um, and identities are held up um, against uh, capitalist Western Enlightenment values. And when there's a disparity, this is decried as a, a problem with the system. And so, as an example, certain ethnic minorities don't make as much as white men. Mm-hmm. What are we going to do when? we crumble that system. What's the value that we hold then? This is the thing that I don't see people at, like I don't see anyone actually talk about. And, and I'm mostly referring to the left because this is the, the broad argument that they make. Um, they don't like capitalism or some don't. It's decried quite a bit. Um, dismantling of a patriarchy is the same thing as, it's about the same as saying dismantling capitalism. In fact, often dismantling dismantling capitalism is often said, but then all of the measurable values that they hold up to say that there's a problem, they use those capital, they use capitalism as a way to to show those measurements. So they're, they're sort of like using the thing that they don't like to prove that why they don't like it. Mm -hmm. But then what are they going to do when it's removed? Like what, I, I don't know what the solution is. Like once there's no longer money to show that there's monetary inequality, how do we value ourselves now? I'm not saying that money's the best thing to value. Don't worry about that when we get there. Details on the (laughs) other side of the gulag. Well, sure. And like, I'm not saying that money's the best thing to value. I actually don't think it is. But um, I just find it interesting that that question's not asked, which is... Yeah, no, you're right. And that's partly why I actually asked the question is that I don't think money's the best thing to value. That doesn't say I don't think capitalism is right. I think it's something we should be doing. But there, there are many, many values in the world. And... Well, I don't think it should be undervalued either. And particularly 2020 yeah. has been eye-opening to that uh, to that end in that we see what happens when an economy goes to shit. Yeah. Your your quality of life, your well-being, and ultimately your survival uh, very much rely on the health of your economy. Mm-hmm. So it's important. It's not everything. It is definitely not everything. But it's something. Well, no, very true. And you it's, know? But- like there's such a push to like identify disparities and, and place blame, but like I don't ever I've never heard anyone make the argument that if you break down the number of fatherless households, that the reason for that is racism. Because the, the, disproportionately, it's single mothers are African American. Um, most it's like a vast majority of Asian families have two parents and. Uh, yep. And the vast majority of Jewish families, I think it's like 80, 90 percent, um, whites and African-Americans. It, I think it's actually really high in Hispanic uh, um, families, too. It's like 70, 80 percent as well, or two parent households. But mm-hmm. it, it's African-American and white families that have this problem. 
but I've never heard anyone say, well, there's a clear disparity between the number of black single mothers and the number of white single mothers, and there's a decent disparity, or the number of black single mothers and uh, um, maybe immigrant black or Jewish families, and so that's clearly racism and patriarchy. It's like, no. No. But no, no one makes that argument because and I, like, that's what I don't understand is like, that's a value that we should be upholding. Like, and this, this one focusing so much on the values that I feel like there's like this cherry pick of values. What, what values are important are the ones that can make our argument the best. And it's like, yep, I think having a father in the household is a hugely important value. And there is a disparity and it's not it's not a social inequality. Like it's, it's not a, it's not like a, a social a whiteness issue, let's say it's probably many issues. Maybe in part it is, maybe the school to prison pipeline is something to blame. Um, maybe the low inequality uh, gives way to um, young men having no other option but to commit crime. Because that's actually a thing. Do you have no other mm -hmm. options, better options that'll provide a higher reward? It's like, sometimes that happens. Um, it could be a cultural issue. I don't know. Um, there's a whole number of things. But uh, those arguments always confuse me. They've always confused me because it, different pockets of people should hold different values. That's that's partly how I think we should group ourselves. I don't think we should group ourselves by the fact that you and I have male genitalia doesn't doesn't mean we should automatically be forced into a group together. I happen to like you and you like me, so we're friends. But it's irregardless of that part of our anatomy. It has to do with the fact that yeah. we we have we have actual we have other values that we share irrespective of our immutable characteristics. And that's how it should Content be. Content of character. Yeah, like diversity of thoughts and ideas. And it's like, that's how groups should be formed. We should form a coalition of people who want fathers in the households and they should try and implement policies that help reform fathers that are in prisons or help teach young men and young women why fathers should stick around. Um, one of the big uh, problems with, uh, I think it's called um, the Great Migration, is that what, no, uh, it, was, it was a name similar to welfare, or it was part of welfare, that um, gives you more money if you're a single parent than you are if you have two-parent household and you're on welfare. And that actually created a, an influx, as I understand it, of single uh, black mothers in particular, but single white mothers too, of which I've seen more of because I grew up in a predominantly white community, but there, you're in there, there's definitely an incentive there. It's not a great incentive. The part of the problem with that sort of thing, though, is that you have an incentive to not have a partner, but you get just enough to get by, but not enough incentive to move forward. Yeah. Right. And so um, maybe to try and put it more plainly, um, this was the big argument that uh, part, this is partly the argument the Republicans gave at the beginning of the pandemic about how much money to give for unemployment. Is that if you incentivize someone to stay unemployed and collect more money than they would get going to work, there's no reason to go to work. Now, uh, welfare doesn't do that exactly. You don't get more money than if you worked, but the um, the disparity between them is short enough that you have to put in a lot more work to actually go get a job and then to get paid very little more comparatively. So it isn't like you don't work and you get you know enough to pay your expenses and a little bit of money and then you go to work and you get double that. You might get thirty percent right. more. So you can just do no work and get 30%. It, it, like Maybe that difference is worth it if you don't need that extra money. Um, and this actually brings me to, to um, part of the inequality problem that I, I see that I think could actually be solved fairly easily. I mean, it would require a good amount of uh, um, policy to implement, which is never easy. But um, in the military, did something similar. Is you create programs that by 
by design incentivize. Um, so what the military did, and I forget what they call it, um, but they noticed that um, uh, women in particular had a hard time meeting the PT standards, uh, the fitness, physical fitness standards. Sure. Um, and so what they did is they created a system within the military to give them extra training. And I, th I think there was other people who were part, anyone who wanted to, who had trouble with the standards could do this, but they, they noticed that there was a big discrepancy because it's very physical and there are physical differences between men and women. And so more women, disproportionately more women failed the physical training. Mm -hmm. And so they gave them resources to help them, but they kept the standards the same. They didn't change the standards for them. They kept them the same. They just gave them extra resources. And um, that's like, as to go back to welfare, that isn't what happens. You're not given money and then given incentive to go get more. So to have the similar standards to the average person, which is to have a stable job and to, to you know contribute to society that way. You're given enough to not need to do that, but not quite enough to be comfortable. And so you're in this weird gray area where you're perpetually in poverty, but you can barely get by. And anything that changes in the tax system or any increases in healthcare, all that just fucks you. You can't save money. You can't put money into a Roth. Um, maybe do some for an IRS, you can reduce your taxes a bit. But when healthcare goes up, you get fucked. If you need medications, you're fucked. If you have a major dental or health procedure, you're fucked. You know, like it, it's all bad. And so it would seem to me that something like along the lines of what the military did might be beneficial to helping inequality is that you reinvest money into communities, whether it's minority communities or white community, just poor communities in general. Yep. And it isn't so much we're just throwing a new school at you and saying, get a good education. That doesn't work. It's been shown to not work. What you need to do is give people an incentive to work hard or to, 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 to put in the work necessary to learn whatever it is that's being reinvested. And then know where to go from there to, to move forward, to know that you can do that and then it's possible and that the hard work is necessary to do it um, and that it's worth it once you get there. And that's going to look very different in different fields, right? It isn't just as simple as, oh, just you can't just implement it, right? You, you have to really brainstorm different communities are different, different cultures are different. So um, different parts of different cities is going to be different. Like how you handle it has to be fairly tailored. But... I could see that going a long way with kids teaching them, hey, like, look, you're in, a sh you're in a shitty part of the country, shitty part of the city, a lot of crime. There's a lot of problems. The odds that you, let's say, as a young, young white or young black youth go to prison like your father, like your grandfather and your uncles and get into crime or drugs or whatever is very high. We have a system that's going to show you why it's better to do other things and how you can do it. It's going to be really hard because the standards are high but you need to hold yourself to good, to good standards. Otherwise, you're just never going to get anything done versus let's make everything easier for you and then maybe you'll do it. I don't think, I don't think people learn that way. No, they certainly don't. And I, I agree with this. I think that there are two main facets to particularly this problem. Not the only facets, just a couple of main ones. Um, one is available resources. So sure. to that end, I, I absolutely agree that investing in communities, not cutting reparations checks, but building reparation, reparations, you know, facilities and, and uh, building up a community in that way. Absolutely. Um, you know, youth centers with actual good resources and job placement and job creation. Um, all of these things will be very beneficial and I mm -hmm. fully support doing that 
uh, with an emphasis on minority communities. Sure. I have no problem with that. Um, but along with that is the cultural difference. And I guess in this sense, it's a similarity, but um, black and white cultures are far more accepting of a single parent household than other cultures. Yes. It's, it's been normalized and it's okay. And when it gets normalized and it's okay, then it's going to happen a whole lot more. Yeah. So we have um, inadequate incentives. And I think that the amount of people actually going on welfare or having more kids to get more money and all that is small. Because mm-hmm. even, even if you get a little bit more money, now you get more kids to deal with. It's, it's not that many people doing that. It happens. I won't say it doesn't happen. It certainly happens. But I don't think that's the main problem. I think the no, main no, no, no. problem is the acceptability and in some some instances, the desire to be a single parent. Yeah. Well, my mom was a single parent, so I'm going to be a single parent. And I'm just going to raise my kids, and that's how it's going to be. Um, without realizing what it is you're actually setting yourself up for, yeah. and the actual price your mother paid, and the things that your mother could not give you because she had to pay that price. Um, you know, yeah. a, a human being is a fucking tricky thing to raise. And it's really, it has evolved to be a two-person job, quite literally. Mm-hmm. Um, and if we normalize and take that away, and then uh, take away resources from those struggling families, those single parents, then of course it's going to fail. Of yeah. course it's just going to turn out more of the same. Of course you're going to be a fucking criminal. There's no other way you're going to get out of the ghetto. So you better go get what's yours. But when I was a kid, that's the way I looked at it. It's an absolutely reasonable thing for a young man in that position to uh, to come to that conclusion. And the only way they're not is to have the cultural support. If you're super, super lucky, then you got an awesome family. Maybe you got an uncle that's going to tell you what's what and be a father figure in your life. More often than not, that's not the case. So, yeah, of course, of course, that's what they're going to do. Please don't act surprised. What the hell else are they going to do? So until... There's a cultural shift in both white and black communities that being a single parent uh, is not a great idea. We can't tell you not to do it. It's it's free country. Do what you want. But understand that that is a a suboptimal way to raise a child, and the child is going to feel that. Um, But then also offer those resources to to, to build up the, the poor communities that it's going to look like it's a minority effort. In my opinion, it's a class effort. So just address poor communities, you're going to be helping mostly black and black and brown folks, and that's totally fine. But to help them out and give them the resources to uh, to be able to work for themselves, or, or to be able to—I don't want to say pull yourself up by the bootstraps because that's shitty—but to be able to go, you know, to to do something yourself, you know, the the, the resources and the support mm-hmm. and the opportunity. There has to be jobs that you can go get. So let's go make some jobs, uh, support those communities, and also find a way to address that cultural issue. And that's going to happen. Have to happen from the inside. You know, who the fuck's going to want to listen to some white guy talking about that shit? Yeah. Um, so th- there will need to be, and there are. There are fucking fantastic leaders in the black community that are saying exactly this. No, they're very um, much they are. Just, yeah, yeah. Yeah, they just don't have cultural dominance at the at this point. Um, but I think, honestly, in, in terms of seeking a solution rather than political power, but seeking a solution, that's the direction that this ship needs to turn. Um, unfortunately, it seems like we're going the exact opposite direction. But 
I guess that's just how I see it. No, I, I agree with that. Um, I would say three things. Um, first, I'd like to give a shout out to my mom. Uh, she, uh, because she raised me as a single mom until I was six. So I was fairly young. And then my stepdad came mm -hmm. into the picture. Um, but she's at least top three greatest humans I've, I've ever known. Um, nice. Next to my grandma and my girlfriend. And, um, and so that shit's hard though. Super hard. Like it's, it's very hard. Unreasonably and hard. It is unreasonably hard. Yeah. Women should not have to do that. No, or men for that matter, but it's very tough. Um, the second thing I'll say, um, so I love you, mom. Thank you. Um, like she was, she single-handedly responsible for the re for me going to college. I remember her telling me mm -hmm. when I was a kid, I, I don't remember how old I probably would have been a preteen, but um, she basically was like, I told her I didn't want to go to college or something to that effect. And she like looked at me and she's like, you're going to fucking college. <laughs> and you know, it's you know, it's when your mom gives you that look and that tone, and you're like you don't, you can't argue with your mom anymore. Like she makes right. it clear that you're gonna shut the fuck up and listen. It was that kind of a tone. I don't even think she remembers this, but she she gave me that look, like you're going to college. I don't give a fuck what you say. Like you're just gonna go. And I was so scared, like truly, because the, the the tone she said it with, that I knew I was going to college before I even knew what college, I didn't even know what, like I said, I think I was like 11. I don't even know, I didn't even know what college was at the time. Like it wasn't like I was aware of it. I just knew I didn't want to go. Um, you know, cause you're a precocious 10 or 11 year old. Um, just sounds like more school. Who wants that? Yeah, right, exactly. And I didn't like school. Yeah. But the second thing I would say is, um, this is more of a, something that I've been pondering. There's this, um, there's this uh, breakdown of the nuclear family. There's this call for a breakdown of the nuclear family. You can't see it anymore, yeah. but if you were to go on the Black Lives Matter website, as an example, um, you have to go to the to the Wayback Machine. Yep. Which is I was the, just going to say Wayback Machine. That yeah. that's a website that looks at like old uh, uh, um, websites and stuff, or like old pages on websites. Um, to, to it pull caches it the entire internet, basically. Yeah, yeah. And so they, they they changed it because they got a lot of backlash. But one of the things that they talked about for a while was some of their things that they were uh, going to do. And one of them was, I believe it's a direct quote, but dis, uh, to dismantle the nuclear family, to like break down, to like destroy it, um, like yep. straight up. But at the same time, so you have this notion of basically no uh, two parent households is really what that was. And maybe what they meant is like um, heterosexual households, but they don't specify it. So a nuclear family is um, parents and two kids. And so um, they want to destroy and break that down. But at the same time, a big ethos for that movement in particular, but for um, a lot of black liberation movements and just a lot of uh, feminist movements is um, it takes a village. So mm -hmm. there's there's this dichotomous notion of not having a nuclear family, but you need multiple people to raise a kid. And I'm confu that confuses me. It's not really a question. It's more of a statement. I get confused by the um, the difference there because it just seems like it'd be easier to just have a father in the household or have a second parent and then have family because then you would solve both problems. Well, see, that, that that's that that's it right there. If I'd solve a problem, that would be a solution. Yeah. And that is not what the official Black Lives Matter organization is looking for. Yeah. And the third thing I would say, and um, maybe this goes along with that, I, this would be more conspiracy-esque. And so I, I don't necessarily want to go down that path. Oh, yeah. Um, but we can. But so no one talks about this. Very few people talk about this. I've heard it before, but it's very few people talk about it. Um, 
So it's obviously bad when men are in prison and it's bad if they're repeatedly in prison and it's bad for men if large percentages of groups of men go to prison. So let's say like the black men, young black mm-hmm. men go to prison. Um, young white men do too. Obviously there's a disproportionate number of black men. Yep. And almost all the African-Americans in prison are men. Um, and, you know, we need to get our sons and brothers out of prison, all those kinds of school to prison pipeline, all the, the stuff. But what no one actually talks about is the massively negative effect that this has on women, in particular, black women, because people tend to date um, uh, within a race. Um, even still, it's more less, it's less common now uh, to, to date interracial. Um, it's more common now to date interracially, but it's still by and large, people tend to date within race. And so this mm-hmm. disproportionately affects black women. And the reason it does that is because the bargaining and negotiating power of women decreases when there are less men in the population. And here's how. So um, if there are less men in your social circle, there are less options for you to find a mate, whether it's just sexually to have sex or whether it's to like have someone to have a kid with. And uh, I'm broadly speaking, I'm talking evolutionarily because not everyone's going to yep. want to like get married and have a kid, right? So right. if you're listening to this and you're like, I'm a free woman, I don't, I raise my own kid or I don't want a kid, kids are gross, I don't like men, whatever, that's fine. Ignore this. But evolutionarily, what I'm speaking about is actually what happens because this is required at least having kids is required in order for evolution to exist. So that's how we got here. That's how we got here. So, but uh, socially speaking, um, if there's, let's say a hundred women and 20 men, the men are at a premium because there's five women to every man, which means that the women have a very select choice and the men can be very, they have to, they, they have to stand out as it were in order to get a man if they want one. Um, whereas the men don't have that. So they're, yep. they're at a premium, which means they're more likely naturally to move from woman to woman or kid to kid, yep. as it were. And again, evolutionarily, right? This, this, this doesn't take into account the, uh, the queer community who don't subscribe to these or maybe men who are gay or women or lesbians, uh, all that kind of stuff. Like, but the same problem can still occur if prison becomes an issue within a culture or a race. And so let's say that the gay or the lesbian, the gay community in particular, it's still an effect. It's still going to affect black gays because there's less men, so they've less men sure. to choose from. Yeah. Like it, it, it's still a problem, and so you're less likely to, let's say, have someone who will stick around because there's other people there to choose them. And that may seem kind of crass, but it's evolutionarily what actually happens that actually mm-hmm. occurs. Um, and I, like, I don't know what to do with that data. I'm not saying that I like it, but if you're the only one of the only people. And you're, let's say you're the best of all the men that are around. And let's even say a conservative, like 95% of the women around you also like men. And you're the best one. A lot of them are going to want to date you. Yep. Because why wouldn't they, if you're a good person and you're better than everyone else, you know? And so that gets exacerbated if the numbers dwindle. And so it's in women's best interest to to help men not go to prison too. And I'm not saying that's their fault or anything, but it's like the whole, it takes a village sort of mindset is necessary. Like we should be stopping. Everyone should be stopping men from going to prison the best that they can, because this just fucks everybody. Like I would be willing to bet that a large percentage of, um, single mothers have baby daddies, fathers who were in prison whether they're together or not, I don't know. But it would not surprise me if a large percentage of men in prison had kids before they were or in between stays in prison. 
And then there's just no man around. And because you you dwindle the social pool of a proper mate and that becomes a problem. And um, the only options I see is that everyone becomes uh, um, homosexual or they date within, uh, within their own gender or you help culturally stop young men from getting put into prison by teaching them proper values, helping them not commit crimes. Like those are the two options I see to solve this problem. Because if everyone dates within within their own sex and gender, let's say, then this will just deal with men and then women won't have to worry about it at all. But that doesn't seem realistic from a species propagation standpoint, first off. And then I don't think from a proclivity standpoint, most people actually feel that way. I, I don't know. Um, my By my estimation, the actual number of individuals who identify as gay or lesbian or some form of queer is probably uh, higher than what we know just because a lot of people don't answer answer these kinds of questions or they don't want to but um i would be shocked if it was higher than if it was in double digits for a parental population Uh, yeah i'm pretty sure it is not Um, it's it's a single digit of some sort and it may be and that's fine like i i I don't know and i don't it it doesn't matter to me i'm not saying anything good or bad about it It just i um it's a small enough percentage presumably that to get it to 100 percent would seem unrealistic and so the the option I see is we need to educate our young boys in particular, but our just people in general better, regardless of race or other immutable characteristics, to better not do things that end you up in prison. I dude, I totally agree, and I, I think an important point to go along with this is. <clears throat> uh, we're not saying that this is you know black women's fault or anything like that. Oh no no no, not like, at all. The first step is to finance some better opportunities, right? Get some money into these communities, get some jobs that can be had, and then teach the boys that you should go get that job rather than slanging rocks on a corner. Well, yeah. And the reason Um, I bring this up is because I've, I, I hear very few people who point and say, you know, let's say young black men or young, whoever's in prison, young men who are in prison, who point to them and say, this is your fault. There's not an outcry where everyone's like complaining about or, or telling the, the, all the black men in prison that it's their fault they're there. That's not the narrative. The narrative is it's the system that put them there. So it, it's the issue of where the blame is being put first off. So that's the first issue I that think, I see. And there's some I'm truth gonna to that. I'm going to jump in on that real quick. Give me a second to jump in on that because I do think that there is, um, with at least a very large portion of, say, white culture, that even if they're not saying that, they're thinking it. Meaning, well, you got yourself in jail. What'd you do? You did something. So the blame is certainly there. And I think, uh, lest we forget, we do have a legal system that when it works, um, yeah, there are definitely folks in jail that need Mm -hmm. to fucking be there. Sure. Because they did some bad shit. Um, It's it's more specifically the, and like, you know, nonviolent drug offenses and, and bullshit like that. And the the repetitive cycle that, you know, if you get yeah. popped for half a joint in your ashtray, um, now you're a convict, you can't get a job, but you lied on the application, Which but then you got fired. Yeah. And it's just that whole cycle. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah that, that's the thing. So, yes, there, there are certainly guilty people in prison. <laughs> um, and I think that there, there's definitely a portion of the culture that just, well, it, you know, they, they got what they deserved. Yeah. Which is not necessarily true. It's not cut and dry it's not black and white there are gray areas that really need to be understood because you know as you're saying it's it's the having black men in prison 
is having effects beyond just putting a man in a prison cell. Yeah. You know, it, it's literally uh, affecting the the dating pool, if you will, for other black women and creating more single moms, either from jump or after the fact. Mm -hmm. You know, if you, if you get arrested when your son is two and you don't see him again until he's 15, y'all don't know each other. That type of thing. Um, so it's, it's a nuanced issue, but yes. I think the start of the solution, if anybody actually wants solutions, the start of the solution is infusing those communities with opportunity. However that looks like. Yep. It'll Infu take money. Infusing them with opportunity and explaining, I, I think, um, setting up systems that uh, explain at a young age not only how to take responsibility for your actions, but what the consequences that can occur when you don't. And that, that was really my point is that, cause I, I definitely don't want to blame, say, uh, black women for these problems and not necessarily blame black men that don't need to be blamed for their problems because there are plenty that they messed up repeatedly and they probably should be where they are. Maybe not for as long, sure. but like there's obviously problems with the system. But my point would be that if the narrative is you need to blame the system when there's a problem, that is actually an issue. Right. Even if the system does sometimes fuck up, like you're blaming an external source for all of your problems or for problems of people that you know, and that's it. And there's times when it's okay to blame external forces for problems because it's necessary, but there are always times when you should look internally and figure out what it is you could have done or what you did that caused problems too. And there needs to be right. a mix and a balance between those. And again, that, yes. isn't to, that isn't to throw all the blame on those individuals, like I said, white or black or otherwise, who are in prison, who don't deserve to be there, or maybe didn't do anything wrong, or did small offenses, and then it added up. Like, there's a lot of issues and nuances to why people are where they are. And there is plenty of blame to go around. But I think having those conversations at a young age, and saying, look, there's going to be some times when shit's unfair. Period. That, that's going to happen. But there's also times when you're going to make a decision because you're angry or because you don't see any other option and it's a dumb decision. And then you're going to do it again because you're angry and the system fucked you up over. And then you're going to make another dumb decision and then you're going to get punished for it. And you got to be on the lookout for those kinds of things so that they don't happen or so you can minimize them as best as possible. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that kind of a message. It, it strikes me as a very realistic but positive message of, hey, you need to at, at times understand and figure out where you, what responsibility you bear and how you can move forward better in life. And that could be hard, but I, I think well, that it's, it's going to be hard. That's uh, part of the message. It, it, that you actually, know it's going to be hard. And that, yeah. should be, that actually should be part of the message is that I don't think that we yeah. tell our kids enough that life's hard. Like there, it not to denigrate too much on safe spaces um, and, and, and to veer off too much into the stuff that the left likes to do, but um, cause we do that quite a bit, but like, Life is really difficult. I'm not saying that we need to keep our kids in constant anxiety and fear and terror so that they understand how bad life is. But like, I don't think mollycoddling children is the right, th right thing to do. Like, they're old enough to understand certain things. Like, you should be able to tell them that life is hard and that they, they should expect to fail. Like, one of the things, one of the biggest thing that I deal with with kids in jujitsu is um, they get, it's mostly the boys, but they get frustrated when they don't pick things up quickly or mm -hmm. what they, what they feel is not quick enough. Usually it's like over the course. Sometimes it's like 10 minutes. They don't get a move within 10 minutes. And then they're like, I quit. And it's like, it took me three years to figure that out. Like, and I'm 30. So you can calm your shit eight year old, you know, like <laughs> grow, you're fine. Uh, but I think that so one of the things I was telling was I'm like, look, 
for as long as you do jujitsu, 90% of what you do will fail. Probably 95. Actually, you're a kid. So 99.9% .9 of the stuff you do will fail <laughs> for a myriad of reasons. You're going to hit puberty soon and then everything's going to fail because your body's going to be weird because you're going to be growing and limbs are going to hurt and like you're going to be uncoordinated and like it, all this stuff's going to happen and you're not going to be able to do anything you could do a month ago. Like that's what I see with all the teens is like they go through puberty and nothing works anymore because they haven't grown into their bodies. And that can be hard to deal with if you don't expect some kind of difficulty. If you just expect things to be easy and then you go through this hard period, it's like, oh God, like life sucks. Why am I here? It's like, no, I always expect shit to be hard. And I think however that would be done with kids, I think is is it in part how that message should be. It's like, look, life's going to be tough. You're going to get curveballs thrown that aren't fair. You're going to do things that are wrong and it's going to be hard and it's going to suck and you're going to live with the message. But I think that instilling those kinds of uh, values can really help kids as they grow to make better decisions uh, intuitively and naturally. 100%. That's one of the greatest values in martial arts in general. The, yeah. Right, exactly. That's, we talk about this ad nauseum, um, especially in our jujitsu podcast, but, um, and then in our first podcast about personal responsibility, it's basically what I'm talking about, in part what I'm talking about. But um, that's what I personally would like to see with the reinvestments that we as a community put in to our own communities. And again, this is irregardless of um, immutable characteristics. I think it's just something that should be done for everybody so that we can we can see, we can um, help people realize the benefits of of those values. I don't think that they're preached yeah. enough. And um, I think one of the reasons you were talking about, there's a couple of different um, different cultures that are very successful over others, uh, um, in particular, African immigrant culture, uh, um, East Asian culture, Ch Chinese culture, Japanese culture, the like. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, in particular, Akhenazi Jews, but Ashkenazi Jews, I think is, is how you say, it, but just Jews, uh, culture, Jewry culture in general, is because these are values that they uphold. Like, they're, they're, they're sometimes they're in, in particular Chinese culture, but they're very strict with a lot of their rules, but they value, um, hard work and difficulty, things that are difficult. They, they, they always push their kids to push through the difficulty and to fight through it and to, even if it's tough and you're angry, like figure it out. Like this is, life's going to be hard. Move this. Um, and you, you see the results. I mean, you, it's, it's in, you just see the results when you look at any statistical measure that's worth it measuring um, in terms of success in this country. And the people at the top are the cultures we just mentioned. They're not white dudes. They're African immigrants. They're East Asian uh, individuals, uh, mostly men, but a surprisingly large number of uh, East Asian women um, who do better, I think, now than white men do, and, um, and Jews. It's incredible. Like they just outperform mm -hmm. everybody. It's a, it's a, it's a joke how much they outperform everybody, and like why? I think I think those. I think that's the biggest. Personally, I think that's the biggest reason, is not not just their work ethic. I think it's more of the um, those values of handling adversity and difficulty and and things um, set them up for the kinds yeah. of environments that they face. Whether they're unfair environments or not is irrelevant. Like they're, they know how to deal with difficult environments and how to persevere through them. And 
That's an excellent point, too. Fairness has nothing to do with it. Yeah, shit's unfair. Life is difficult. It's not going to be fair. How are you going to deal with that? Yeah. It's like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to paraphrase uh, Ricky Gervais here. who was recently on Sam Harris. And uh, something to the effect of, um, if you find yourself stuck in the jungle, you don't want to pave the jungle. You want better boots. Yeah. You don't tear down the whole fucking jungle. You make yourself more capable. That's that's how you get through life. So no no, very very true. Um it's a interesting interesting problems to solve. Um It's one Again of the, with those solutions. Let's talk power. Yeah. No, I'm kidding. I'm totally kidding. <laughs> I've, I've actually wanted to uh look into the community more and see what more I could do in Bothell to help enact some of the things we're talking about. I um in part do that with kids with teaching jujitsu. Um Yeah as best as i can but uh and dude that's that is that is an awesome opportunity to have a positive impact yeah. on some young people oh yeah agreed uh, that's cool i think we are at two hours we are at two hours and 20 minutes bam all right cool well let's uh let's call it a week yeah let's call it a week we'll get to uh we can do covid vaccine stuff next yeah so um Cool. All right. Well, uh, thank you, everybody, for joining us for another podcast. Uh, we're going to get on out of here. Why don't you go ahead and enjoy the rest of your morning, afternoon, or evening. See you, everybody. Bye.